time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. Hey, welcome to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Hey, as, what, as a quick reminder, I'm asking my friends to pray for me as I am preparing in the late spring to head overseas, the other side of the world, to train some future pastors and leaders at an institute there at a school, graduate school. And uh, I'm raising $2,500 for not just my airfare, but some other incidentals and that type of thing. If you'd like to contribute, uh, please go to jeffkinley.com, click on the Donate tab. Or if you'd like to write a check, uh, click on the Contact tab. There's an address for our ministry as well, Main Thing Ministries. All these gifts are tax deductible, but I wanted you to be aware of that so you can pray for me uh, as to uh, what God is doing in my ministry. Other things, I'm speaking at uh, some five different prophecy conferences coming up this year. Very excited about that. And some other speaking engagements are also in the works. But hey, we're here to talk today about Jesus because we're talking about the real Jesus and how do we know him. And last time, I kind of left you an alert here, uh, sort of a cliffhanger about Christ becoming a man and feeling all the things that we feel as human beings. And you know what? That's so true. There's so much that Christ has done to reveal himself to us. And one of the things that he's done, obviously, is to become a man. And that's why he can identify with us. So not only did Christ, though, become a man, he came here to reveal the Father to us through his deity and humanity, through being the God-man. He also came to accomplish redemption and to become our sin substitute. And that's why he now is able to represent us through uh, to the Father, rather. And so the issue today is, is really, it's not really, does Jesus get us? It's like, does he understand me? Although that's true. The question is, do we get him? Do we really get him? And that's the very question that Jesus asked his disciples toward the end of his earthly ministry. He said, hey, who do people say the son of man is? And after they reported what they had heard on social media and on Twitter, Jesus got more personal. He said, well, who do you say that I am? Boy, that's a pointed question. It's one thing for Jesus to ask the group a question. It's quite another thing for him to look at you and ask you a question. So Peter, who was the resident blurter of the twelve, correctly responded. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Good answer, Peter. You've been paying attention. Now, here's why Jesus asked them that question. He didn't do it so that he could know how to more effectively relate to them or somehow accommodate their preferred image of him. See, the Jewish disciples expected Christ to deliver them from the Roman oppression and to set up his earthly kingdom there in their lifetime. But that's not why he asked them the question. He asked them the question to quiz them so that they could reveal whether or not they had developed an accurate and authentic concept of him in their minds to show whether or not they had received and processed the truth he had been teaching them. You see, when you're taught by an authoritative source, then you have the opportunity to understand accurately who God really is. And make no mistake, Jesus Christ was an authoritative source. Now, today, our authoritative source is the Scripture. And thankfully, faithful teachers and preachers who teach that Scripture... And if that happens, then you can understand who God really is. 
And so Jesus wanted them to have the whole concept of who he was. That he was a 100% man, but also 100% God. And he still is. There is and will only ever be one Jesus. He doesn't adapt or evolve or change, but he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Bible tells us. And his word, watch this, his word, not our emotional needs, cultural trends, church growth fads, missional philosophies, or theological preferences, his word is our source of authority regarding him. If you want to know who I am, then I'm the absolute authority on that. Now, you can ask my wife. She knows me pretty well. But if you go and misrepresent me or you say something about me that's not true, that's going to upset me, especially if it's not true. You want to know what I'm like? Ask me. You want to know what I think? Ask me. You want to know how I feel? Ask me. So if we want to know what God is like, what he thinks, how he feels about things, here's an idea. Why don't we ask him? And how do we ask him? We ask him through his word. God, how do you feel about this issue? Oh, look, there's a Bible verse that God wrote. God, how do you feel about morality? God, how do you feel about the future? God, how do you feel about humanity? God, how do you feel about what we're doing to unborn babies? God, how do you feel about homosexuality? God, how do you feel about love, marriage, family, parenting, relationships? How do you feel about that, God? God says, well, I wrote it down for you. Go look in the book. So Jesus gets to say who he is. <laughs> He's the authority on him. And it's right there in the Bible, period. So to augment the definitive biblical declaration of who Jesus Christ, if you augment that and alter that in any way, you know what you're doing? You are creating a Frankenstein God assembled from bits and pieces of theological tidbits that you've been fed over your lifetime. So is your God a Frankenstein God or is he the faithful God of Scripture that is clearly revealed? So we dare not transform the Jesus who turned water into wine into a watered-down version of himself. This is why, watch this now, this is why we check, we fact check every thought, belief, teaching, and preaching, and we sift it through the filter of Scripture to see if it holds up as being true. And if it's not, then we spit it out. We reject it. We throw it away. We flush it down. We put it down the garbage disposal where it belongs. No matter how attractive it might be, no matter how who says it, doesn't matter. We re, you know why you want to do that? Because you want the best, don't you? <laughs> you want to know who the real God is. You don't want to get the end of your life, die and go meet Jesus or get raptured. All of a sudden see Jesus and go, uh, what, uh, is this the real? I, that's not what I was looking for. That's not the Jesus I understood all my life. Now here's the cool thing. Fortunately, God does not bypass our minds in order to reach our hearts. If you want to know how to experience Jesus, you can. 
But even in the most basic infantile decision to trust Christ, there must first be some existing knowledge about who he is. You can't just walk up to someone on the street and say, hey, would you like to trust Jesus? And they go, yeah. And you walk away. The, next, the obvious question is, well, who, who is Jesus? Or, or who is the Jesus that you're talking about? Because I have an image of Jesus, the street person says. He's this, this, and this that I've heard. Or maybe I've been burned by people who claim to represent him. I've had many, many, many people in my life have that experience. And when they're presented with the real Christ, it's just like, whoa, 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 where is this coming from? I haven't heard about this Jesus. I'm like, well, he's been there in the Bible the whole time. You've been fed a lie about Jesus. You've been fed a lie about God. You've been fed a lie about what the church should be because of the way that people have misrepresented the truth. But you can't experience Jesus. But the way to experience Jesus is that you have to first know Jesus. And the more we know Jesus, the more we can experience Jesus. He doesn't just float in through the back door and let us experience him. It happens because we are engaging with the knowledge of God. God created us to respond to him based on his revelation. There can be no legitimate response or experience with God apart from the revelation we find in Scripture. can't happen. Now, you can look at the stars and go, whoa, you're wild, you're great. You do that. You want to get more specific about who God is? you got to go to the Bible. See, our experience of God grows out of our receiving and believing what he says is true about himself. Any other experiential claim is unbiblical and heretical. You know, that's one of the reasons why on the last night before being crucified, that Jesus went and got off by himself and he prayed in John 17 what is known as the high priestly prayer. You want to find the Lord's prayer? It's, it's in John 17. I want to find the prayer that Jesus actually prayed to his father. And you know what's the cool thing? It's almost like God says, hey, I'm going to part the curtain, let you guys go backstage and listen to this conversation that Jesus has with the father. Listen to what Jesus says to the father. Consider what he prayed in John 17 for his disciples that were asleep over there or off wandering off doing something. It's the prayer that he prayed for them, and it's the prayer that he prayed for you. Listen to a couple of the things that he prayed out of John 17. Verse 3, he prays that they may know you, Father, that they may know you. And in some of the last moments of Jesus' life, he's thinking about you. And what's the value? What's one of the top values that Christ prays for to his father concerning you. He says, God, oh, Father, I want them to know you. I want them to. You know why? Because that's one of the reasons Jesus Christ came to this earth. John 1, 18. He came to reveal the Father to us. So he prays that they might know you. That's our word, gnosko, we've been using here. Verse 6, he says this. He says, I have manifested or declared or explained or revealed your name, God, Father, to the men that you gave me. He revealed 
the name the name of God means the character of God, means who God is. When you look back at the Old Testament, you see all these names of God. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Sitkanu, all, all these names of Jehovah. They were all names that revealed what his character is like. Jesus says, I spent my ministry manifesting, revealing, declaring, explaining, exegeting your name to those men that you gave me. Isn't that interesting? That Christ saw his disciples as a gift from God the Father to him. Whoa, we're getting a little deep theologically there, huh? I thought Jesus just walked on the scene and said, mm, there's a fisherman. Hey, you, come follow me. No, no, no. Jesus did nothing except what the Father told him. And Jesus was given these disciples by the Father. The Father chose the disciples, gave them to Jesus, and Jesus then chose the disciples in time. Well, he said, now, now you really confuse me. Hey, that's why Ephesians 1, verse 4 says, In love he predestined us as sons. It says that he chose us from before the foundation of the world. That'll rock your brain for a while. Think about that. So Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, Father, I did it. I told him who you were. Not just in a sermon, but I showed it to him by everything that I did. Then he says in verse 6, they have kept your word. Your word. Not, they didn't just fulfill a philosophy or a mission. It was the word, the truth of God. He says they, they've done that. That was their mission to fulfill God's word. Then verse 8, more stuff about this knowledge of God that comes from Scripture. He says, the words, Father, that you gave me, I have given to them. Do you want to know what true ministry really is? True ministry is incarnating the truth of God to other people. So what do you mean by that, incarnate? What, what does that mean? Is that karma? No, no, no. This is what it means. It means to live out the truth of God to other people. You know, there's there's a a youth organization that, that one of their kind of catchphrases has always been, you know, kids don't care what you know until they know that you care. And that's absolutely true. In fact, it, it actually sort of... Uh, Echoes a verse over in Thessalonians where Paul uh, is talking about, he's kind of rehearsing his ministry uh, that he's had with the Thessalonians. I want to read this to you. This is pretty cool here. This is what Paul says to these people that he's been ministering to. This is what he says in, in uh, 1 Thess 2 8. He says, Having this kind of fond affection for you, he says, We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, that's the truth of God, but also our own lives. Why? Because you have become very dear to us. So Paul is saying the essence of real ministry in people's lives is to give them truth and love. Truth and love. Not just truth, not just sterile truth, but out of the context of a loving relationship. That's where real ministry takes place. If you want to know how to do real ministry, if you want to absolutely knock ministry out of the park, then take the people that God has given you and impart to them the truth of God and then love the daylights out of them while you're doing it. 
If you can do that, then you will have successful ministry. And I mean success as defined in God's terms. You will be faithful to God. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ did with his disciples. That's why Paul did it with his disciples. He says, the words you gave me, I have given to them. And Jesus, as we know, loved his disciples very much. So it's a context of life and of truth together. Let me give you one more here. He's praying in John 17. He says, talking about the words of God, the truth of God, God's vintage truth, verse 8, chapter 17 of John. He says, they received these words, and they truly understood that I came forth from you. So Christ is making a very exclusive claim here. He's saying that when you understand the words of God, you'll understand that Jesus Christ is from God. You'll understand that he is, as he says in John 14, verse 6, the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. You'll understand those things. How can you understand those things? The words. The words. God communicated to you and me through words. God made language. I've got a, a very dear young friend of mine, a girl that was in my youth group years ago, took her on mission trips, went over to England together. She's now working with the Wycliffe Bible Translator people, amazing group of people. She's out trying to get the Word of God into other languages. What we're talking about here. You know, you say, well, I, I, I can't do that. I can't, I can't, you know, be a Bible translator. Yes, you can. You can be a Bible translator. Because you translate the Word of God into the language of your circle of influence every time you're with them. You're translating the Bible. You know, I heard the story one time of these four preachers who were discussing what was the best Bible translation out there. And some, one of them said, well, I, you know, I, I like the King James because of, of the, how poetic it is. And somebody else said, well, no, I like the New American Standard because it's really more true to the original Greek text. Someone else said, yeah, I like that too. Then one said, no, I like the NIV because it's really easy to read and that type of thing. And then finally, this one guy, one pastor who was silent. The guy said, well, what about you, man? What, what do you think the best Bible translation is? He said, my, the best Bible translation I've ever read is my mom's. And they kind of looked at him and said, well, what do you mean your mom's? Your mom translated the Bible? He said, yeah, she did. Every day of her life. Every day of her life. She translated the truth of God to us by the way she loved us and taught us and served us and motivated us and equipped us and corrected us and loved us through all that we went through. She translated the truth of God through her life, through her mouth to us. So yeah, you can be a Bible translator. You just have to know the Bible first. <laughs> That's kind of a prerequisite. But see, God has put you in a sphere of influence where you can translate the Bible every day. Sometimes it's through your mouth. Sometimes it's through the way you live. But eventually you have to get that word. You have to open the book and you have to tell them what God says about life and love and eternity. And if you, if you do that, then you will begin to tap into what it means to experience Jesus. Jesus' disciples 
experienced him. Not just because he was with them, but because he declared the truth of God to them. And so if you are sitting under teaching, if you're getting digging into the word for yourself, guess what? You have a great opportunity to experience God. Let God speak to you through his word. I guarantee you he will. His powerful word. Hey, we'll pick up right here in John 17, talking about experiencing Jesus next time on the Vintage Truth Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Please subscribe and share with a friend. For more about Jeff's ministry, go to jeffkinley.com.